You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. The urge to discover is as old as humanity itself. From the earliest of times, we humans have been driven to find new places to populate. That drive was usually precipitated by environmental necessity. As places were stripped of their resources, people migrated to more fertile lands. These days, the drive to discover new places to live is also being driven by environmental change. The problem is, there's no new places to discover on planet Earth. The age of discovery led by the Portuguese, followed by the English, the French and the Dutch, began in 1492. And by the early 20th century, humans had reached the last place yet to be colonised, the South Pole. Climate change will be the greatest challenge humanity has faced in thousands of years. There has been mixed attempts by governments around the world to forestall the worst consequences. Some of those attempts have been valiant, some pedestrian, some have been ignorant, and some outright negligent. But the election of the most reactionary president in American history, combined with a string of science-denying governments across the developed world, has led many to despair or find another solution. Elon Musk's dream of colonising Mars is a direct response to the growing threat of climate change. And another group of Silicon Valley dreamers are hatching their own escape route. But it's not in space. It's in the ocean. They call themselves seasteaders, and this month their dream took another big leap towards reality. The plan is to build a floating nation near French Polynesia, expected to be completed by 2022. The island will include 300 homes, along with hotels, restaurants, offices, and more. And it's being bankrolled by PayPal founder Peter Thiel. The Floating Island Project is being guided by the Seasteading Institute. I spoke with the president of the Seasteading Institute, Joe Quirk, back in episode 52. And I started by asking him whether the new country would be legally recognised. We're halfway there legally with regard to uh, cruise ships and cargo ships. So your standard cruise ship that I, you know, talked about was so wonderfully governed when I was there, it's likely to fly the flag of, say, Liberia, which has no capacity to enforce any laws on the three and a half thousand ships that fly its flag. Right. So the shipping industry is already commandeering this legal space where I incorporate in this country over here, I hire from this country over there, I fly the flag of this country way over here, but I'm sort of de facto in practice self-governing. So what if cruise ships never docked? Mm. They're already getting away with a considerable amount of autonomy in practice as long as they fly the flag of somebody. So they're already a baby step from just saying, what if we never come ashore and we float out here permanently and we're twice as big and we're not a harm to anyone and we're providing a service to the world? Most people love cruise ships. Nations aren't hostile to them. I feel like both the technological and legal innovations are right on the edge of seasteading. I liked your description before when you talked about 
your concept being like the iPhone of, of the ocean or the iPhone of civilization, really, where people can throw out their apps and they'll only survive or be profitable if people buy them. So if they're good, if they have an appeal. And that's what you're imagining governance to be like on these seastead communities, because you would make it very clear that that you have no ideological position on any one type of government or another. But if your communities suggest that they're going to act in, in a certain way, they will rise and fall in popularity and, and survival on how popular their type of governance is. And if people don't like it, they'll leave and it will fall apart. And if people love it, they will stay and more will want to come. And that would deem that type of governance a success. What do you think it would really be like? How's it going to start in the very least? You know, we're old school thinkers. Everyone who's on the first seastead will have come from an old society like the one that we live in. How do you imagine they'll begin the process of governing? I believe this is such a deep solution that it's in principle unpredictable, the same way the people who, say, founded Australia or the United States couldn't have described to the monarchists what these societies are going to be like or what Manhattan Island is going to look like. Yeah. But nevertheless, I would love to speculate for you here on your show. Please. So I think it's going to go like this. We're going to, before 2020, we're going to have modest little experiments in French Polynesia. We're going to make them beautiful. We're going to make them, we're going to fill them with uh, Polynesian faces and Polynesian students. We're going to make it a sort of blue tech hub. Blue tech, attract, love it. Yeah, uh, wave generation technologies, schools. There's, you know, my, I, want to, I don't want to get into my book, but there's multiple ocean technologies you can feature on these things. If we set a good example and our business model works, then we'll start to attach more platforms. By 2025, these could expand. If we please French Polynesia, they may allow us to negotiate for a little bit more autonomy further out to sea. Other island nations and coastal nations may say, hey, this is an interesting thing. Mm. We're interested in soliciting you for our island nations. So in the vision of Delta Sync, the Dutch company, it starts as the coastal expansion of existing states. Right. And the innovation is started for these a market of voluntary societies at sea that people can choose and unchoose just like they do cruise ships. So you'll have this steady advancement in legal and engineering technology moving out to the high seas until you're literally on the 45% of the Earth's surface that is unclaimed by existing nation states. And if our this system of choice and proliferation of ideas, where seasteads go in and out of business according to people's choices, I think this will unleash unimaginably uh, superior societies. I'm with you. I, I can imagine it going well. And I'm sorry, I know you were going to continue there, but I just want to recap a little bit there. That it makes so much sense that that it would begin as the coastal expansion of existing states. That makes sense to me. And then you've got an eye on that 45% of the Earth's surface that is currently not claimed by anyone. And the tropical oceans, you know, near the equator, hurricanes don't mm. cross the equator. It's calm. It's warm. You can start very small and inexpensively. And the more minds you attract to this problem the quicker the costs will go down. So you don't have to be an oil company in order to float at sea. 
there are people working on materials and composites, and there's all sorts of people getting interested in this. And if you can attach to a mountain that's, say, you know, 50 meters below the surface, mm-hmm. it turns out the the oceans are full of these things. Yeah. So we could easily colonize this part of society, and then we set a better example as powerful as, say, Hong Kong, which is an example I use of a tiny little startup government that created so much wealth and success. It changed the policies of all of China and caused, you know, at least a half billion people to exit poverty because of the example set by Hong Kong. Yeah. So we want to create thousands of floating Hong Kongs. Because of Hong Kong, it started a special economic zone movement, which are little sort of legal islands on land. They've 4,000 of them have proliferated across the world in the last 50 years. And uh, the legal innovator involved with our floating island project, uh, Tom W. Bell, has taken the next step beyond the sea zone and the next step beyond the uh, special economic zone and designed what he calls the sea zone, which takes the best practices of all these 4,000 experiments and applies them for floating islands. And the great thing about this is that you can go to any coastal country in the world, any island nation in the world and say, we don't even need your land. We'll bring our own land, grant us a little bit more regulatory freedom. We absorb all the risk. If it fails, we detach, we sell off the seasteads to some competing seastead. There's no risk to the host country. But if we succeed, we bring prosperity to your local people. We set an example that changes the world Mm. and we just want to proliferate Hong Kongs all over the world. The French Polynesia Project is just the first of what the Seasteading Institute hopes will be many floating countries. Quirk said he wants to see thousands of others by 2050. Each would have its own governance model, allowing these new city-states to experiment with politics, not unlike a startup company. Whether or not these floating cities become a permanent fixture in the world is yet to be seen but their real value may be in showing those of us still on land that we can dream bigger. There is still something yet to be discovered on planet Earth. Happier, healthier nations. I hope you enjoyed this bite-sized portion of the Team Guru podcast. I'll be back next week with a full-length episode on the next installment on this, my mission to bring to life the principles and theory of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.